How are you today? Coming back from spring break, enjoying a little life. Oh, I'm a little sad about that video. Little punks. Dude, make it fun. Man, that hurt my feelings a little bit. Dude, it was like 2005. I just came here and we were taking a bunch of students to Israel. And then, uh, then later in that year, we're headed out to the Olympics. And it was, uh, uh, it was gonna be pretty tough. And so I was teaching a New Testament class and was in one of those theater seats areas that, that uh, uh, I don't remember what building it was, but uh, um, I had a couple ministry majors that made up bingo and they handed out all over the class. There was 112 people in that class. And so, uh, <laughs> and I didn't know, and it was kind of funny where they kept on baiting me over and over and over. And so finally they asked questions about things and, I mean, this is interactive. I thought, man, I've got the pulse of the class. Man, I'm, this is great, man. They're asking questions. It's a night class. And all of a sudden, this one kid goes, bingo. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? Um, I think about today, and I think about it's Monday. It's after chapel. And, and so what do you say to a bunch of people who've been out all week? And then we talk about fusion and what's taking place. And so... There's this thing that I've done over and over here when I'm at camps. I love to do it, and I love to bring out a grill, which I can't do today in chapel. But uh, um, there's this idea that I do want to talk about. So if you're a senior here, you might remember a chapel where we talked about carne asada, right? Does anybody remember that? All right. And the idea is um, I love food, which is pretty obvious. And basically, one of the greatest dinners I've ever had in my life as a carne asada play at El Azteca. It's a place in San Diego where you go, and, and carne asada there is better than anywhere I've ever tasted it before because real good Mexican food is not Tex-Mex. You have to actually go to Mexico. You may go down south, go to Monterey, maybe go to Mexico City, go straight west, go to Baja, and you get really good food. And see, carne asada is this idea. It's, it's carne is, is meat, right? It's flesh. Asada is the, the, the seasoning, the flavor. And I want to talk about what that means. In fact, I made it some because tonight uh, I'll get the grill out since it's over 40, 50 degrees. And so like on Sunday I was wiping down the grill and I've got it ready to go because I got a bunch of this at home. I've been marinating it for about three days. And I'll kind of talk about that for a second. And then uh, um, it's, it's in there. You can't really see it, can you? I'm afraid to open it yet because it smells really bad. But I'll explain that here. But before I do, there's a couple concepts. Before I go into Scripture, I want to go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And that's where we're going to land. Um, there's this idea that is pretty prominent that we see weaved all the way through the church. Especially come out of Jesus. Especially Jesus spending so much intense time with that group of people. Then he ascends up into heaven, end of Luke. Then we started the Acts, and you see this, this church growing, and they're groaning as they grow because they're so um, undeveloped in their, their leadership ideas yet. I mean, they're, they're raw. They're so passionate, yet they still have to figure things out and get it organized so they can move together as a unit. They can be unified. And so you see all these principles and precepts like spread out all through the New Testament to help the body come together and function properly together. 
I mean, working together has never been really good in this, this world that we live in. Humans aren't good at playing nice. We're not very good with working with each other very well. And you see these principles scattered out. And one of them that I love is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And basically, here's what it says. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance, are a Christ-like fragrance, rising up to God. That's pretty intense when you think about it. But I can't get in there yet. Before we, we talk about this and before I open up the carne asada, there's a couple other principles that we have to talk about that are in play before this even makes sense. There's a couple principles that I don't necessarily like, to be totally honest. Uh, um, one of them is law and the other is obedience. Two things I don't like. See, for me, the idea of law has always been kind of mocked. I grew up when this great TV show came on called The Dukes of Hazard. all right? And so you've got, does anybody even know what I'm talking about? Bo and Luke Duke, all right? You know, and it's like, you know, you're 17, it's like, I wanna marry Daisy, you know, and that's what you do back in those days. And you've got Bo and Luke Duke are the cool bros, and they've got everything together, and they've got the great General Lee, but the law, the law is corrupt. The law is kind of led by this guy named Boss what? Boss Hog, and does anybody know the official name? All right, I'll say, does anybody know the name of the officer that chases Bo and Luke? Roscoe P. Coltrane. All right, you gotta get that in, so the law is always distorted. The law is a mess. I, I would go back and watch reruns of different shows, and the classic one was this guy named Andy Griffin. Does anybody even know about that? And so you're watching this show, and the law there is kind of different. In fact, the law in Andy Griffin is almost like Andy Griffin actually has a clue. And he's kind of like the, the spirit of the law, but then he's got his sidekick who's the letter of the law. And that guy's Barney what? Of course. I mean, it's like, what a joke. The law is kind of a joke a little bit. And then there's my personal stories, like running late to class a little bit and driving down Highway 37 and and realizing that the cars in front of me are going way too slow. And so passing two cars at one time, and the first car is pretty easy, and the second car happens to be a police officer's car. <laughs> and so, so, officer, I apologize to you and everybody that you support, okay, and you represent. I, I beg your forgiveness, sir. <laughs> All right. And basically, you pass that car, and what am I gonna do? <laughs> what am I gonna do? Just stop and say sorry? You know, it's gotta back up? It's too late for that. I mean, I got past them. And then at the same time, I know what's coming, okay? And so I'm like driving and, you know, getting the glove box open. By the time he pulled me over, I had my license, registration, a note from my mom. I mean, it's like, hey, I got to go to the chapel, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll help you get there. You know, he went back, you know, came back with this little thing and handed it to me. And so it's like, uh, I wanted to support our local government by paying that ticket. And so here I am. It's like my view of the law once again is like, oh, 
whatever. And see, that's kind of like our story as humans. I mean, the person who created us, the person who designed us, the person who crafted us, knows us best. And that, that person put in place some things that would help us function at our greatest potential, would help us become who we really are intended to be. But because of the word law that's built into that, that these, these principles and precepts, we kind of war against that. We war against that law because something entered into this world and that's that sin thing that, that comes in. And we all know this to be true because you're very intelligent, that at the epicenter of sin is selfishness. That is the root of all sin. That is what happened with Lucifer. What was his desire was to be, not like God, but to be God. And at the root of all sin is selfishness. And what wars against the law that God put out, not, not to prevent us, but to set us free, not to restrict us, but to see our potential explode? Our selfishness wars against law. The other principle is obedience. In 1 Samuel, you'll read about this, but there's this idea that's going on, and this has been happening forever, that for us, for us, sacrifice is so much easier than obedience, because we can go do things, and we can go sacrifice this, and we can take some out of our pocket and put an offering, and we can go help some kids, and we can rake a yard, and sacrifice is something that we can control. Obedience is different. See, obedience, if you break that down, and this is just as true for me as it is for you, obedience means that I have to submit. And submission for us as humans is pretty tough because it goes against that sin nature in us, this idea that we are in control and we want to be in control. And so when you hear 1 Samuel talking about this, and you hear this idea of to obey is greater than sacrifice. If you go take it in context, sacrifice can be manipulated, controlled, contrived. I can use sacrifice to make up for a bunch of things I just did. And you know what? If I can just pay off God with my sacrifice, I'm cool. It makes me feel good about myself. Obedience is so much harder than sacrificing for me as much as for you. So you've got these two crazy principles at play. You've got this idea of the law and what it means that we war against all the time. You've got this idea of sacrifice and obedience, which is kind of tough. And so I can pick and choose what works best for me. All right? I can say, well, the law is antiquated, or the law that's back in the day, or that doesn't apply anymore. I can say that. I can feel that. Doesn't make it really true. It doesn't change the idea behind it, the spirit of the law, to set you free in who you were created to be, not to restrict you. I can feel, you know, like, well, if I obey, I can't do this, or I don't understand why God's asking me to do this, or why his word says this. I can say I don't agree with it, and my disagreement with it doesn't change the truth of it, the reality of it. I could even in my theological world argue theology versus the Bible because I can kind of 
change my theology depending on who I hang out with or whatever. I can go to a different school and get a different theology. Can't get a different Bible. It's kind of weird that way. So when I think about this message this morning about us, think about what about us? What about us that has to change? What about me that needs to change? In fact, I think about this, and there's a big mirror that I'm looking at right now. I'm not really preaching this to you as much as I'm preaching it to myself. Is there something in me that needs to change? Um, Do I need to die to my selfish nature so I could really understand and embrace God's law and obey him fully? Can I be just really honest with you right now? Spent my whole life working with students, middle school, high school, and college students. And I used to think the worst place in life was that eighth grade year between eighth grade and ninth grade. Do you guys remember that season? Wearing like two different socks was like cool. Now it's just a necessity. All right. I mean, you're trying to figure out what's going on with your hair and your face and your body and other people around you. I mean, girls are six foot three and boys are four foot two. And that's always awkward. Okay. It's just a weird time. You're looking at me like you don't know. All right, you know what I'm talking about, guys. All right? Then you get into high school, and your first couple years, what are you trying to do? You're trying to play the part, play the role. Your freshman year, you're trying to be the man, trying to be the lady. All of a sudden, you get to your end of your junior year, and it's like, whatever. This is stupid. And then you get over it, right? And it's like, finally, it's like, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't care. Then you come to college. And all of a sudden, it's like, why did I revert back to a freshman year in high school again for about a semester? It's like, I'm trying to figure things out. And then you look around, it's like, why are the juniors and seniors wearing sweats all the time? And they really care that much. Because it's like, they kind of got over it a little bit. Right? And then you see guys around campus. They love the certain law that plays, the law of averages. That's their favorite law. Because they know if they ask enough times, somebody will say yes. (laughs) Dudes, you know that's you guys in the front row acting like it's not me. Don't look around, all right? You know what I'm talking about. So you love that law because it works out for you, all right? And in college, what are we? You know, this is the time in your life where you literally are making so many decisions for yourself. And you have the freedom to do that. You have the freedom to figure things out. You don't live necessarily under the same, quote, unquote, law of the house, all right? Nobody gets up in the morning and says, hey, take out the trash. It's just your room smells really bad. And finally, you together as a group of people decide we need to do this, all right? All right? And then all of a sudden, you'll hear stories of how somebody's mom came to campus and realized they had the same sheets they've had all year. And then she's embarrassed and horrified. And it's like, and you don't care. Because that, that was your decision. My first year in college, I, my freshman year, I went to church every Sunday morning for Sunday school and then for church at 1030. And then you kept your clothes on all afternoon. And then you went to Sunday night service. And then you, you made sure that you didn't you know, laugh too much the entire day. Then you went to a Bible study. Then you went to Wednesday service. And it's like, man, we were in church more than I was in school. And then my freshman year here, nobody told me I had to get up. And was it that I failed to love God anymore or that I, I was worried against the church? It's just that I could set my own alarm. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. If it did, it did. And my 
first semester of my freshman year, I don't think I went to church two or three times because I had to make up my own mind. I had to decide for myself. Am I going to live out this thing that, that I have to under my parents' roof or am I going to own it for myself? And that's where these two principles really mess with you. Am I really going to understand and embrace God's law for me, even though that word is so messed up and manipulated and misunderstood? Am I going to understand and embrace obedience, another word that seems so dirty? When you think about it, that's both immature. That doesn't make sense. We're beyond that. I'm going to embrace it because I choose to. Then comes this, this idea that, okay, those people who say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm fully engaging in this. I'm embracing all this truth. Comes this idea that if you are that person who's been transformed by God's love in your life through embracing his principles and precepts, that person who's engaging in his word, that, that person who's trying to work through the garbage in their life, that person who really wants to have that dream and that vision that God has for you, and you want that too, that person finally is starting to make it work. And you're starting to do it, and then all of a sudden comes this idea that, listen, as you are becoming that person, as you are pursuing that idea that God has for you, your life will transform not only, you know, the people that are right next to you, that you're in so close proximity to, but your life will be this sweet and pleasing aroma to everybody that's around you because it kind of sends a message that your life is no longer your own. You've not but become this myopic believer or this person who's selfish in their faith, but you realize that your life is meant to be spent in the relationship with other people. I like reading different writers and theologians like Dr. Robert Mulholland would say that your salvation is for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of others. And you realize that my life is meant to be spent in community with other people. And I want my life to be a sweet, pleasing aroma because there's two sides to the coin. Either my life will be a sweet, pleasing aroma or my life will be the opposite. And we know what that is and we don't want that. And that's why I was thinking about this, like, well, how do I illustrate this the best way? And, and for me, when I think about this carne asada, what I did is I went back and I thought, okay, I know that to get this meat to be its best, like here it is right here. I mean, I'm going to be really careful. This has been soaking for about two and a half days. And this steak, all right, this flank steak has been marinating. And what I did is I got these oranges and then I squeeze the oranges all over it. And because there's, there's something within that orange that is so important to the marinating process. There's an acid in orange, isn't it? And the acid in the orange basically takes the meat, the, the intense fiber of the meat, and the acid breaks open the fiber to allow everything else to work. The garlic that's in there, the cilantro that's in there. See, that, that green stuff on that steak is that cilantro and the onion and the garlic and the salt. In fact, some people think it smells. I don't think it smells. I don't even know if people can smell it right now. Can you guys smell that? People thought it backstage when I brought it in, they said somebody left their lunch over break. I mean, and it smells pretty, pretty strong. Now, some people think, well, that, that, that really stinks. Can you smell that? Is, is it kind of gross? Dude, that, to me, that doesn't smell gross. That is awesome. 
All right, can you smell the onion and the cilantro in there? And can you, do you know what I'm saying? Oh. See, what happens is this. There's another principle in here. The other principle is this. That if I leave this meat in this marinade, it'll rot. It can only be in there for about three and a half, four days. If I leave it in the marinade, it will literally be of no value. And what I intended for it to happen, this idea, I have to throw it all away. Oh, wow. You know what I think about this place? I think about this place as one big marination process for you and me. We're being marinated. You get so, you get so intense with deep study and and discipline. We're in chapel three times a week, plus you're in church. We're being marinated constantly. But the difference is this. Imagine this massive grill right here, and it is fired up, and the flames are looking really good, and I pull this steak out of this marinade right here. I pull it out of this, and, I, and some of the, the juice that kind of contains the salt and the pepper and all that kind of stuff that's built in there and the rest of the stuff I put in there, that's kind of poured over top of this steak as it's on the grill, and all this other garbage I throw away and get rid of it. And as the steak is being cooked. It's cooking out all the other stuff. It's sealing in all the good stuff. And that's the part about what we need to understand is, is that our lives will not truly be exposed to other people. The aroma in our life will not truly be smelt by others until we are tested by fire. Fire is a part of life that we have to embrace. So many people war against the fire like it's a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing. The fire burns off the garbage around us and in us, and what's left over is sweet and pleasing to Almighty God. You will be tested by fire, whether you're here or whether you're out of here. Right now, maybe some of you have never been tested by fire, but it's coming. And when you are tested by fire, what will be revealed? What will be revealed? Some of you have been tested your whole life, and you grew up in terrible places, and you've gone through some terrible times, and you can testify to that truth. But it's for all of us, every one of us, nobody, nobody can escape that. In fact, I don't know if you want to. When you are tested by the fire, that aroma in your life will be released. And you know what I believe to be true for all of you? Is that your aroma will be the sweet and pleasing thing rising up and telling other people all around that what I think about God is true and I will embrace it myself and what I believe about him is not true. And you are showing me something new that I want, that I've got to have. You know why we work our tail off so much for fusion? It's because we're trying so hard to embrace those students in high school to say, listen, what you understand about the law, what you understand about obedience, what your perception of, of God and who Jesus is, Look, for so many of you, it's distorted. Let us, let us show you a clearer picture 
of who he is. And you know what our belief is? And it's always been this way. Then one of the greatest examples of that is you. I've said this a thousand times. I think this is a cool building. But I don't like it if you're not in it. It's just empty space. I think Lecrae's cool. I think he's a great guy. What's the greatest aspect of fusion? A bunch of people come out of this campus and smelling a sweet aroma of Christ lived out by the way you live your life. Sometimes in the fire. And it's true, and we all know it's true. So my prayer for us is that we'll get out of the marinade. All right? Let's get out of the marinade. It's great for a season. It's appropriate for a time. But we're not meant to live there. I'm done, and I just want to say to you guys, um, it's really easy for me it's really easy for me to talk about you to other people outside this place because I'm lucky enough to be around a lot of you. And what I see is people committed, people in love with Christ, and people desiring to serve. All right, so like Charlie said, this concert is just as much for you guys as it is the students that we bring in. And so as of now, we've sold about half of our tickets. Um, and so if we, we want you guys to be there and be a part of it. And so to get tickets, you can get them on itickets.com or over at the box office in the pack. In the next coming weeks, uh, be looking, we're going to be selling them in the mall way. And so I would ask, guys, that you would help us out, that you would help us make this happen for these students, and that you would take some time right now to fill out your card and drop it in the baskets on your way out. If you don't get a chance to do that, stop by our table, and please help us make this happen for the high school students. Will you please rise for a benediction? May you go in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and live your lives as, as a fragrant offering unto the Lord. You're dismissed.